What are you really sure about in your life? It's a good question to ask, and it's a good question to ask others. You know, as we look at the news today and we look at our world, there's been shootings, there's been bombings, there's been a lot of sad stuff going on. But you know what? There is something that is sure, and what is sure is God's Word, because God's Word originates from God Himself. All Scripture is inspired by God. It becomes the measuring rod. It's what we really bank our lives on. It's what we stand upon. And Peter is going to defend it, and tell us about the origin of it, and tell us how sure it is. And it will give us strength and courage to move forward in our lives, no matter what happens in this crazy world. We'll look at that more in 2 Peter 1 on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. When Peter writes 2 Peter, do you remember what the main occasion is, the emphasis of the writing? What's he trying to accomplish? Protect the church against what? False teaching. He's being a shepherd. Because a shepherd feeds the flock, protects the flock from wolves in sheep's clothing. And a pastor's main job, it's not the only job he has, but one of his main jobs is to protect, equip the, the sheep and protect them by virtue of teaching the truth. To strengthen them. To bring them closer to the chief shepherd. And so Peter says in 2 Peter 1.13, as we pick up from last time, and I consider it right, or the word could be righteous. As long as I am in this earthly tent or dwelling, the, the Greek word is skenoma, it's literally a tabernacle, a temporary tent or a tent of a nomad, to stir, up, stir you up by way of reminder. Peter says, as long as I'm in the tent, I'm in the reminding business, and Peter's now probably in his 70s. And I've watched some pastors like Dr. Charles Stanley, for example, and others we can think of who, I don't know, is Charles Stanley almost 90 now? That guy has been preaching the word for a long time. And sometimes I honestly look in the mirror and say, I wonder how long I'm going to do this. I have been doing this for 20 years. It's almost hard to imagine. Some of you should be shaking your head. No, Pastor Michael, it can't be. You look like you're 30. You guys should be saying that right now. And you think, you know, Lord, how long am I supposed to teach your word? And the answer is, you are to be faithful until I tell you otherwise. Follow me. Not only will I make you a fisher of men, Peter was told early in Jesus' uh, ministry, but I will make you a shepherd of sheep. I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you a shepherd of sheep. That's the call of the church. We fish for men and women that they might get saved and then we shepherd them and we try to take care of them to keep them from falling into sin. Here's the two primary issues with sheep once you get saved. There's always the danger of falling back into sin and there's always the danger of falling into false teaching. The job of a shepherd is to help sheep not fall back into sin and not fall into false teaching. And so we are in the reminding business. And Peter says, as long as I'm in this tent, and this tent's gotten a little older now, Peter might say, I'm not as strong as I used to be. But until I leave the tent and go to be with the Lord, 
I'm going to continue to remind you, even though, as he said earlier, I know you know these things. Because Peter knew what it was like to fail. Peter knew what it was like to be someone who had confessed Christ, and in the next moment, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter knew what it was like to say, Lord, even though all forsake you, I will never. And the same night, say he didn't even know the Lord three times and begin to call down curses. Peter knew what it was like to be asleep when he should have been awake. And it's interesting that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were sleeping instead of praying, and Jesus said, my soul is grieved, he took the same three, Peter, James, and John. He went about a stone's throw away from them. He began to be grieved. He began to fall on the ground and ask the Father to let the cup pass from him. And when he went back to the sleeping apostles, he said to Peter, not to John, not to James, to Peter, the author of our letter, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? You said you were going to be so strong, Peter, and you can't even stay awake. This is our humanity. This is our sheepiness. <laughs> we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Can you feel it sometimes? And just when you feel like you have arrived and you got this Christian thing down and you feel like you're pretty well anchored, then it just doesn't take much, right? That's why we need to continually be rooted and grounded in the things of God. Peter says, I'm, I know, knowing that, verse 14, the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, same word here, earthly tent, tabernacle, is imminent. The putting off of my body will be soon ESV. And also our, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. When did Peter know that he was going to die? Well, he was given the prophecy in John 21 that he was going to die when he was old. And the way that he was going to die, he would stretch out his hands, which many believe is a reference to crucifixion. And I've told you about the tradition that Peter was crucified and that upside down. And that's debated whether or not that tradition is correct, but is from one of the early fathers. And so Peter says, I'm getting ready to fold up the tent, just as Jesus has told me. And maybe it was confirmed to Peter when he was praying one night, or maybe the Holy Spirit said, it's, your death is imminent, so get your affairs in order, or finish up the writing, or whatever. And so he, the tent was going to be folded up and Peter was going to leave. Peter was going to make a departure. Look at verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, see the word departure there? It's literally the Greek word exodus, but it's spelled E-X-O-D-O-S, exodos. You may be able to call these things to mind. I'm, I'm being diligent. The Lord's told me, Soon I'll be folding up the tent. And he calls death my what? Departure, my exodus. Now, if you think of this, the word exodus, you recall that when the children of Israel were in Egypt all that time, 400 years, and they were freed by the mighty hand of God, that was called the exodus. We have a book called the book of Exodus, and by the way, Exodus simply means exit or departure. 
For the Christian, death is not the end. Death is a departure. The only question you got to answer is where are you going? Do you know how if you go to the airport, they have those boards with arrivals and departures? And you look you know, at arrival and departure times on those screens and you try to see if your flight's on time or if you're going to pick up somebody that, you know, it's their, their flight's coming in on time. Arrivals and departures. The only thing you really got to know is where you're going. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. Have I been so long with you that you don't know me? Three and a half years we've been together. The night before he dies, John 14, have I been so long with you that you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm the way to my Father's house. Death is a departure. Paul said in Philippians 1, you can write down verses 21 through 23, for me, to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. How many of you have that verse on your refrigerator? Nobody? <laughs> For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because if death is a departure, if death is an exodus, exodus has the idea of being freed from bondage. Bondage to what? A world cursed, a world filled with sin and death. Now, none of us have a death wish, of course. We all want to see the Lord's face. We all want to end up in heaven, but we're not trying to rush things along. Amen? It's like the pastor who stood at the pulpit and asked the congregation, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand, except this little boy. And he saw the little boy in the hallway, and he said, son, why didn't you raise your hand when I said, do you want to go to heaven? He said, I thought you were taking people now, pastor. I'm I'm not ready to jump on that bus just yet. When Paul describes it, he says to depart and be with Christ is far better. He uses the same imagery in 2 Corinthians 5. I won't take you there because I think you're all familiar with it. But in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about this tent and how in the tent we groan and so forth and how we have... Uh, a house not made with hands, which is eternal in the heavens. But in this house we groan. We're, we're longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. What did Moses and Elijah look like to Peter, James, and John? I don't know. Because it was before the resurrection. So you could say in some way they were in the intermediate state. They were with the Lord. They were recognizable. What did they look like? Did they have a body? If so, were they young? Were they middle-aged? <laughs> you know, these are questions that we don't have all the answers to. But they were recognizable and they were there with Jesus and they were all in glory. And that's, that's where Peter's going is he's going to talk about this, this meeting that they actually discussed Jesus' departure, Luke 9.31, which is a parallel account of the transfiguration, as they were up on the mountain. That's what they were talking about. Jesus is literally his exodus, which could point to his ascension or just him going back to heaven. Now, the word for is a causal term linking the passage. So the word for links back to what Peter just said, verse 16. 
Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we've put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. That's where Peter's going, is he's going to talk about this, this meeting that they actually discussed Jesus' departure, Luke 9.31, which is a parallel account of the transfiguration, as they were up on the mountain. That's what they were talking about. Jesus is literally his exodus, which could point to his ascension or just him going back to heaven. Now, the word for is a causal term linking the passage. So the word for links back to what Peter just said, verse 16, and he goes into now a defense of the origin of the Bible. He says, for... We did not follow cleverly devised tales. The New King James says cunningly devised. The uh, NIV says cleverly invented stories. The ESV calls them myths because the Greek word is muthos. When we made known to you the power, that's the Greek word dunamis, and coming, Greek word parousia, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We, says Peter, did not follow made-up myths when we told you about Jesus Christ. We did not follow invented stories. That is not what the Bible is about. There's Greek mythology, there's Roman mythology, there's things from Egypt and things from Babylon, there's the mystery religions, there's all of this stuff about gods and goddesses, there's the occult, there's the cults, But there's one Bible, and the Bible tells you about God, the triune God, and his plan of redemption for mankind. And so Peter says, look, we didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what does Peter say? We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The word majesty speaks of glory and splendor. Cleverly devised, could have the idea of subtle, sophisticated, well-packaged lies. Do you know how many well-packaged lies are out there? It wasn't long ago we did the first 633 I shared with you on Scientology. Scientology is a well-packaged lie. Until you get to OT8. And OT8 is Operating Thetan 8, Level 8 where you find out that you just have to redo the whole thing over again and just to give them another couple million dollars. That's it. If you've been watching the Leah Remini special, that's what they found out at OT8. You get to do it all over again. (laughs) Get your checkbook out. Get your credit card out. 
a well-packaged lie promising what? You could be in control. You can do better at business. You can be comfortable talking with people. You can make friends easier. You could do this. There's a scientific remedy for everything. Don't you know? You're an operating phaeton. Or you will be. There's a little God in you. You just have to figure out, you know, who you are. Go up this levels. Go up this chart. And then you get to the top of the chart. And all you find out is you have empty pockets. And somebody else is driving some nice automobiles. how the devil works. Peter says, that's not the game we were playing. You don't need to bother with myths. You have God's word. When we talk on Sunday, uh, part of what came up in some of the backdrop of Wendy's story, Wendy will be up here to share a little bit, is the book The Secret. How many of you remember when the book The Secret came out? So The Secret... The, the essence of the book, and it was being pushed by Oprah Winfrey, is that you just need to speak to the universe and the universe will give you back what you speak. So you just say to the universe, whoever's out there in the universe, whoever the universe may be, oh, universe, I want you to see my wallet right now. My wallet has a multitude of receipts, but very little cash. I now speak into my wallet, <laughs> right? Or here was one of the things. You could speak to the universe after you eat that triple cheeseburger. And you could say something like this. Maybe you got to talk to the burger. You are not going to cause me to gain any weight. Now, I'm sorry, but th- this was it. So I'm going to eat this cheeseburger and universe. No wait, it's going on me. I'm sorry. That's a joke. That's, that's, that book was flying off the shelves and that's what that book taught. That's very simplified, but that's it. Words of power. You speak your own reality. Your words control your reality. So you put the words out there and you get to create your reality and that's just a big fat lie. It's a lie. Peter says, we didn't do that. The time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4.3, what Paul wrote at the end of his life. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths or fables. Same Greek word, same lie, same source, repackaged over and over and over again. And the books fly off the shelves. You know Why? Because I can get a lot out of it if there's a secret and I get to speak to the universe and that controls my pocketbook and my shape and I can control my own reality, then surely I'm going to buy that book. But it's a lie. Peter says, "That's, that's not what we preach to you guys. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received 17, honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. Now he's referring, as we're going to see, to the Mount of Transfiguration. Probably happened on Mount Hermon. He received honor and glory from who? God the Father. An utterance was made 
That came from the majestic glory or from heaven. And the father said of the son, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, Peter left off something. You guys remember what else God said there? He said, listen to him. And Peter was talking right when God said that. I don't know if Peter just left that out by grace. I don't think so. All scriptures inspired by God, right? God has his reasons. There's only one other place that God the Father spoke these words about his son. What was the other place? His baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I, I was listening to a message I'd given four years ago, five years ago, from Luke 9 on the Transfiguration. And I heard a coach say that he was meeting with a Jewish friend who was not a Christian. And they were, he was talking about what he had learned in the New Testament about how God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased twice, baptism and Mount of Transfiguration. And he said one of the things that he gleaned out of it as a father and a coach is to publicly tell his son or sons how much he loves them. And of course, that would apply to daughters as well. But this, in this case, it's a son. And he said, what do you think of that? He just said that to his Jewish friend at lunch. Like, what do you think of that? And his Jewish friend began to break down and cry. And he didn't know why he was crying. And when he got himself together, his Jewish friend said to him, do you know that when we do a bar mitzvah, the last thing that the father of the boy that has come of age says to him is, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he didn't have any knowledge of the New Testament. And he broke down in tears. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think it's important for fathers and mothers to publicly express their love and that they're proud of their children. And I'm one of those dads. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have three. I have Shane, Nathan, and James, two of which are here tonight. James is off at Biola. And you are my beloved sons in whom I am well pleased. Do I think that's the immediate context? No. <laughs> Do I think it's a good application? Yep. Because they need to know that you love them and you're proud of them. And so here's the message that came. They were enveloped in this glory cloud. It overshadowed them like the shadowing Shekinah glory of the tabernacle. And the father confirmed his son. Where was his son headed? To the cross. I think his son, Jesus the son, who was 100% human, needed this. He needed maybe affirmation, encouragement from his father. And I think the apostles needed to hear this because they had just, Peter had just confessed, you are the son of God, you are the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the father confirmed it from heaven. How do you like that? Can you imagine what kind of light and power and glory was going on up there? Have you ever read the Exodus account of Mount Sinai when God appears and he is like a blazing fire? That's why they're on their faces, by the way. They got a close-up glimpse of God the Father, God the Son. I'm sure the Holy Spirit's there as well. And Moses and Elijah on fire too, in some respect. And what do you think it's a foretaste of? The coming kingdom. 
Old Testament saints are there. New Testament apostles are there. And God is there. And it's a foretaste of glory. We will know even as we are known. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven, 18, when we were with him on the holy or sacred mountain. And so we have the prophetic word, 19, made more sure. The prophetic word confirmed, New King James, to which you do well to pay attention to as, lamp, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Just If you look at the end of verse 18, you can see it's the second occasion on the holy mountain, not at the Jordan River, where this took place. So Peter's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, in the ESV, it renders this way, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word. What is sure in your life tonight? What can you count on? Who can you count on? What, when you sleep at night and you put your head on the pillow, what are you really sure about? Stock market? I was sure a week ago. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I wanted to see my 401k statement a week ago. And then I turned on the news. Uh-oh, click, 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 click. Not so sure. And then there's people. Some people I was pretty sure about. And then <laughs> I became... Not so sure. Can I get a witness? <laughs> All right, you don't have to say it out loud. Don't look at anybody right now. <laughs> what are you sure of? We go to the doctor, we get a health report, we, we hear news. Just not sure. A lot of people say that. You ask them questions. I'm not sure. Do you know how many people will answer the question tonight about their eternity with these words? I'm just not sure. Really? You might want to make sure before you fold up the tent. Amen? This is not an area to not be sure. Now, do your investigations. Do your homework. Ask your questions. Beat on the doors you got to beat on. But... Make sure you know the Lord. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.